0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Green Industry Pros Grassroots Podcast. In this episode, Jay Wirth, Marketing Manager at Single Ops, sits down with Sarah Webb, editor of Green Industry Pros Magazine, to discuss the best recruiting and retention practices for landscape companies to keep their benches filled ahead of the busy spring season. Thanks so much, Jay, for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, um, i got my start in the industry uh, back in college i worked for a full service landscaper and learned a ton Um, really fell in love with the industry Uh, worked a variety of places um, companies between uh, pennsylvania and florida uh, throughout my career i've worked everywhere from a, a mowing company to a palm tree farm so uh it's just been a lot of fun and right now in my role at single ops my job is strictly to resource screen industry managers and business owners and help people um, figure out how to run their businesses better. So,
0: Very cool. And throughout your time in the industry, what have you been seeing as far as the labor industry or the labor issue?
1: Um, I don't think it's changed a whole lot since I was in the field. <laughs> um, I think that as a general rule... Um, landscape workers are chronically overworked and underpaid. (laughs) And that's not, that's not a knock on any individual um, business owner. I, again, I think it's a, it's an industry issue. Um, So if you're listening to this and you say, I pay my guys great. Awesome. They're probably still overworked, especially during peak season. Um, But I think that, 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 I mean, as a rule, um, I I was actually just doing some research yesterday uh, for a presentation I'm giving in According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average landscaper makes $35,000 a year in the U.S. That's not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some original research. Um, one of Single Ops competitors, actually, Jobber, released a report last year that said the average wage in the U.S. for landscapers is $1,462 or $1,463 an hour. Um, I just did some original research, again, for this presentation I'm giving, and, and I came up with a very similar figure. It was $14.91 an hour. So it's, let's not pretend like anybody's getting rich in this industry, right? So um, if you want to keep your team, pay is a great way to, to do that. It's not the only thing, um, but it certainly goes a long way. Don't to, for comparison. Okay. Doing that research, I came up with 1491 uh, fast food workers in the U S on average make $17 and 20 cents an hour. So let's, let's just quit saying people don't want to work. People will work. They'll just going to work where they get paid.
0: Definitely. That makes sense. And, you know, in addition to paying your workers more, what are some of the other tactics companies can use to keep their benches stacked?
1: Uh, I think some of the things that you have to think about um, and maybe low hanging fruit, right? Because everyone's going to talk about company culture. That's not an overnight fix. Um Yes, it's important. And yes, you should absolutely focus on it. Um, but it's not its not a silver bullet that's going to happen right away. Some low-hanging fruit, some things that a lot of companies overlook, I think, that can really improve their ability to recruit and to keep um, some of those uh, employees that they've worked so hard to recruit. One is, is really focusing intentionally on career development, career ladder, um, career path, whatever you want to call it. Um, but just Taking a really thoughtful look at each level of your organization, start, start at the entry level and say, okay, if I wanted to promote promote, you know, my, my brand new mowers, um, what would they need to do in order to get promoted, to earn more money and to get promoted? You know, what kind of things would I want them to accomplish? Are there safety trainings they need to complete? Is there some kind of professional development that you want them to have? Um, whether it's a certain number of CEUs or whether it's leadership training or, or whatever, what things do you objectively, you know, quantifiably, I can say, oh, yes, this person has achieved this, this, and this, and now they're eligible for a promotion. And you have to do that throughout the whole organization. People have to see a way to advance. They have to see a way to... Um, improve their paycheck, and and truthfully, to just um, build some confidence and and say, um, yeah, I I want to be ambitious. I want to um, improve my my professional development. So I think a career ladder is one of them, and I think the other one that's really um, often overlooked is is really thoughtful, deliberate onboarding. So often in the industry, we say, oh, we're going to train you on the job, and we do. We train people when they get there, but. Look, some of the some of the best onboarding I've ever had. I worked for a company one time where, um, before I started, uh, they 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 used so they used a couple of software systems that I was going to have to familiarize myself with. One I kind of knew and had played with. Um, it's pretty widely available commercially. But the other software system they used was hundred percent proprietary. Nobody else in the world but this one little company used this software system. They had they had built it for themselves, and so. I needed to know how to use it and what they do they sent me instructional videos before I started. <laughs> so before I even walked in the door they didn't have to and yes they provided me additional training there was nuance that that was missed you know some things that some little quirks in the system that I had to learn on the job but I walked in with a basic understanding of how to do my job from day 1. And I think that uh, and that was not single ops, by the way. That was a different company. <laughs> um, but but uh, I think that 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 type of thing is very transferable. I think that you, know, you can do short videos, three, four minute videos um, that talk about the proper way to wear your PPE, safety around the equipment, um, hitching and unhitching a trailer, loading a trailer, properly securing equipment. Um, and then those things live as, as standard operating procedure for the rest of your company. Anytime someone has a question, they say, oh, is that the way we do it? Well, let's go back to the video, right? But there's no reason you can't record those and share those with your new hires before they even walk in the door. So they have some sense of what they're expected to do and how to perform their job before they come in. Onboarding is, is really, really, and that's just a part of onboarding. I think you need to share company values and the practical application of those values, um, what does it look like to embody those values? Give them examples. There's a lot we can do with onboarding that we're just not doing very well as an industry, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely. And having those tangible examples certainly helps. And, you know, as far as building out a career ladder, you know, for companies who have never done something like that before, what advice would you have for them to get started in doing that?
1: Um, I think that again, it's it's just a matter of, I think the biggest challenge for most of these companies is probably the time. Like it's an investment of time. It is. If you do it thoughtfully um, and and you're really intentional with about it, right? Like, okay, if I've got uh, a company that does a lot of um, mowing, right? How many people are on a crew? So how many many, um, mowers warrant a crew leader, right? Do you have mowing teams of two or do you have... um, you know, with a supervisor, or do you have mowing crews of four with one crew leader? Um, Those types of things. And just, then you know how to scale it, right? So, you know, if you hire three new mowers in the upcoming season, you're going to need another crew leader, Um, Mm -hmm. or you're going to hire four new mowers and and you're going to, you know, you only want, uh, you know, a certain number of mowers reporting to a supervisor, you might need to hire a supervisor, but you've got it scaled that way. So, I think you just have to start investing the time in saying, what at each level throughout the company, create a, a map of the organization if you don't have one, right? Create that tree that says this is person reports to this person. And, you know, uh, so I've got, you know, six mowers that report to a supervisor, a supervisors, you know, three supervisors report to an operations manager, or director of operations, whatever you call it at your business. Those people report to the CEO. Um, it, create that. Right, and then you have to objectively what what objective, tangible, quantifiable things do that does does any person need to accomplish in order to be considered to be promoted to the next level? Like there might be intangible things too, but that but that doesn't that doesn't warrant like you need to include those. Yeah, like displays good leadership, you know, uh, skills. Maybe that's a little bit more soft side. It's a soft skill, right? It's a little bit more um, people centric, but you 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 know you should think through what that looks like. Um, and and that can be the the tiebreaker if you got two people that have, um, you know, all of the objective things done. Uh, the subjective can become then a tiebreaker rather than how you make decisions. If everything you're making is a decision for career ladders and promotions is subjective, that's a huge crush. Uh, you know, crushing uh, feeling for the morale in your company. People are going to feel like they've been overlooked whether they have or not. So um, I think you just have to start at each level and say, what does somebody need to do? And you have to do it all the way up through the CEO, through the owner, right? Like someone wanted to take over the company, what would they need to do? Um, and yes, they, they will obviously have to, you know, everything at level one plus, <laughs> right? Plus, and, then, and then it keeps building, but it's just a matter of investing the time. You have to prioritize it and think through it. And I would dedicate, you know, I don't have to finish it in one afternoon, but I would dedicate, um, there's a lot of research that says that for these kind of creative functions where you really have to like dive deep into something and a lot of focus and concentration, 90 minute blocks work really well. So just maybe you spend 90 minutes a week on it throughout the season here. And, you know, by midsummer, you've got it completed, but you, you have to do it. It's just a matter of investing the time and then defining those objective things at each level that helps someone say, yes, this person's qualifying for promotion.
0: Absolutely. That's great advice, especially for keeping those people on board. But do you have any other advice too, for hiring those people in the first place?
1: Uh, yeah. I think the one thing, another thing that we're just really, uh, we tend to either outsource it um, <laughs> or or ignore it because we don't understand it as an industry is, is learn marketing. Um, There is so, so, not only will it help you, you know, uh, attract more customers, more actual business, but the principles are almost 100% transferable to recruiting, right? So in marketing, one of the things you do is you create uh, what's called an ideal customer profile. And, you know, you have to decide this is the type of person that is the best fit customer for me. Um, it could be um, young first time homeowners with disposable income who don't know what to do with their landscape. Or it could be, you know, uh, people with uh, that are that are approaching retirement age and have grown children out of the house and then they've got disposable whatever it is you you know um, your average customer kind of instinctively best you know you get a sales call or you get a, a lead you show up to a property and you know who that person is right like mm-hmm. yes this is going to be a good fit for my company you, and so you it's just a matter of taking that and putting it on paper and saying this is the type of customer we're going to actively you know proactively on purpose target do the same thing with your candidates right figure out oh the people that fit best in our company are you know in their uh, early to mid twenties? They're kind of past uh, some of the like, let me go sow my wild oats and and whatever. Um, they've they've got an interest in outdoor activities, whether it's hunting or hiking or whatever. Um, you know they. Have have a you know a stable relationship. Whatever it is, just kind of think through those things. Who are your rock stars in your team right now? Kind of collate that data and create an ideal candidate profile. And then you create job descriptions. Um, you write ad copy. You know for for your job boards or for Facebook or wherever you're posting about your ads that speaks to that type of person. And if you're not sure if it does, go back to those people on your team that you know are your rock stars right now and ask them, say, like, hey, is this compelling? Would you, would you click on this job ad? Um, is this something that you would ask for help with it? And I think once you begin to really get your head around the, the crossover between those marketing functions and how to recruit, um, you're going to do it far more effectively. It's about understanding the type of person you want to attract. Uh, in both cases, and and then actively creating um, whether it's videos or, or um, written ads or whatever that attract those people.
0: Absolutely, and you know once those people are hired, onboarded, you know they've got their career ladder that they can follow. Um, you know what other tactics can companies use to help their crews be more efficient in general?
1: Oh. Efficiencies, Wow. So there's a, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there too. Um, I would say, um, probably one of the best things you can do is talk to other people in the industry. Right. Um, I, to give you a great example, I worked at a, at a company one time, <laughs> pretty good sized company where, um, a sales guy came to me with who's all excited. He goes, Jay, check out this video. And it was a video uh, of basically what's, what a lot of people in the industry would call a mulch train, right? Like there's one or two guys in the back of a truck shoveling mulch into wheelbarrows. And you got six or seven guys that are just constantly, it's a, it's a rotation. They get their wheelbarrow filled. They run over to the flower beds that they're working at this commercial property dump it in a couple little piles and then run back to the truck so all the mulch gets dumped at one time it's just super efficient he goes oh wouldn't it be great if we do this And i'm like we don't do this <laughs> are you kidding me right now he goes no right now when we go to commercial sites you know every guy grabs it and fills his own wheelbarrow and then runs over and dumps it i mean it's just so much wasted downtime so i think just talking to um other people in the industry kind of um, trying to follow some of those best practices, watch YouTube videos. And when I say follow other people in the industry, you know, your crosstown competitor might not be as eager to share those secrets with you as somebody in another state, in another market. So <clears throat> I would say continue to network, um, look for technologies. Uh, there's not just, and not just software, not just, you know, autonomous mowers. Um, go check out products like the Mulchmate. Um, Mulchmate is a, I think he calls it. Uh, Nick Carlson's the owner there. I think he calls it a a bulk materials distribution system or something like that. It's like the only thing it fits in a in a back of a steak bed, and you literally pull the wheelbarrow up to it, press a button, and it fills the wheelbarrow with mulch in like three seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge efficiency savings. <laughs> Right. (laughs) Probably also decreases your workman's comp claims because some guy's not breaking his back, shoveling, you know, it can move Delaware. you know, like like two inch, three inch stone too. you know, they're not they're not breaking their backs trying to do this labor. So those types of efficiencies are out there, Um, whether it's the actual process that you're doing, whether it's a technology technological advancement, I would just say, talk to other people in the industry. Um, do some research and and just find out what other people are doing to kind of stay on top of some of those efficiencies.
0: Definitely, and kind of like you mentioned, a lot of times it's the little things that really add up as far as as far as making your company more efficient.
1: Absolutely. Like, can you imagine how much more efficient you'd be if you run a landscape maintenance company and you could fill wheelbar- wheelbarrows with mulch in three seconds <laughs> <laughs> throughout the course of the year? How many more jobs could you do?
0: Right. That's true. Right? And- and to your point earlier, too, just talking about, you know, talking to other people in the industry, you know, I found that, you know, going to trade shows and different conferences and things like yes. that, people are so willing to share. Absolutely.
1: Um, it's people. like in the, one of the most collaborative industries in the world. Like people want to help each other. So go take advantage of that. Not, not in a bad way, but like go learn from other people.
0: For sure. Yeah. Um, Let's see. And looking at the questions I had for you here, Jay, that is about everything. But is there anything else on this topic that you think our lis- listeners should know about?
1: Oh, man. Um, I would just say, because I think recruiting is half the battle. I think retention is also a really important part. So I mentioned earlier, culture is really important to that. Um, one of the best definitions of work-life balance I ever heard, it was something along these lines, it's uh, allowing your workforce, your your team, to fulfill all of their obligations at work and their obligations outside of work to their you know family, friends, et cetera, uh, without burnout. I mm-hmm. would say that that is becoming increasingly important um, in today's workforce. Um, the people entering the workforce right now. Generations, and I say, can say that now because now I'm old. Uh, I'm no longer part of that generation entering the workforce. <laughs> I'm being supplanted, but they're entering the workforce and they have very different expectations um, than Xers or millennials, even, right? Like mm-hmm. they expect to have that balance. And so if you, you know, oh, we got to make hay while the sun's shining um, <laughs> and you run them into the ground, you're going to turn people over really quickly. Like if they need time off, work with them to, to let them go to uh, a kid's dance recital or uh, their, you know, uh, kickball practice, like, you know, whatever. Cause I actually knew a guy that played in a kickball league um, mm. that I worked with. So like for adults. Yeah. Um, so like, whatever it is that they're doing, whatever it is that they're into, you have to give them the space to do some of those things. Otherwise you're going to, you're going to turn them over really quickly. And according to the Harvard business, business review, um, burnout, employee burnout—you know, pushing them too hard like that—accounts for between 125 and 190 billion dollars in healthcare costs annually in the U.S. Every single year, they're uh, going to go somewhere else if you if you push them too hard. So that's the only other thing I'd say. If you now that you spend all this time recruiting people, if you want to keep them, that balance is really really important to them. And yes, you have to balance the needs of the business, but like. Are we as flexible as we could be, is my question. So just think through that if you're listening to this right now.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that work-life balance, too, can really just help people come back to work, you know, feeling recharged instead of burnt out. Um, Well, thank you so much, Jay, for for taking the time to do this podcast. We really enjoyed having you on.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I'm happy to do it anytime.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of Green Industry Pros Grassroots Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Webb, and I look forward to joining us next time.